Jonah chapter 4. No, we don't, we're not going to correct them. One thing I love about our church, people love to talk and hang out. Very relational, Josiah. <laughs> uh, before we jump into Jonah, um, what, what I like to do, just so some of you probably might not know this, we did, I guess I could have shared this in the announcements, but uh, Jacob and Hannah Plummer, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot, guys, are going to be uh, moving to Hawaii, correct, tomorrow, for a short period of time, maybe a little longer, you just don't know yet, right? No. Anyways, uh, publicly, what I want to say on behalf of the church is thank you for being a part of our church and for serving faithfully for so long, and we're going to miss you and we'll continue to pray for you. And I want to encourage us as a church as well just to be praying for them as they transition into this next season of what God has for them. And so thanks for serving us. We love you guys. All right, so Jonah chapter 4, we have uh, two more messages, this week and next week, and then we'll close up Jonah, and then we'll jump into some um, more traditional Christmas messages. Um, But let me read Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Actually, I'll start in 310, so just the verse before that, just for context. And so when God saw... What they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well? To be angry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Throughout every page. Throughout these four verses. And Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts. That this word would be received. Or that you would fill us with your spirit. That through these words we would see you more rightly, that, Lord, we would grow in a love for Jesus because of these words. Lord, we just grow in our faith through your word being proclaimed. And so, Lord, would you accomplish your good purposes through your word? Would you help us? Would you help us to hear and to grow and to worship you more rightly? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, 
as we've been going through this book for, I don't know, several weeks, um, I've, I've grown to really love this book. And if you've talked to me privately, what I would say is, of all the years that I've been preaching um, here and going through a number of books, I, for some reason, it just, it just stands out over the last year of going through Galatians and then jumping into Jonah. And um, in some ways, a lot of times I pray for myself and I pray for us and I pray for other people is that God would surprise and delight us. Because I just believe God to be good and gracious. And I, and I believe he, he loves to do that kind of stuff. And I would say that in many ways, going through Galatians and then jumping in to Jonah, God has surprised and delighted me in just the material and the things that he says in those books and combining these things and beginning to, in particular, really understand his grace um, not that I didn't understand it, but it just, it just seems really fresh this year. And so I've, I've grown to love the book of Jonah. And it's been my prayer and hope that you too would come to really love this book and the prophet Jonah. Because Jonah was a, was a great prophet. Before this book, before this, the background was, was Jonah was a great prophet. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we learned that that he was famous for delivering God's message of grace to the people of God, informing them that though they were not perfect, though they were not really obedient to God, that they weren't really seeking hard after God, in fact, they were kind of doing the opposite of those things, God chose to be gracious to the people of Israel because God loved them. And so he sent the prophet Jonah to the king at the time, and he just told him that this is what God's going to do. He's going to be gracious. He's going to be blessing the people of Israel by expanding their borders, which was a big deal. And so Jonah did that. And he lived the good life with God's people as a prophet of God, speaking God's word. But all of that changed, and that's what we have here in this book. All of it changed when when God came to him and called him to speak his word of grace to the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites were not God's people. Instead, they were God's people's enemies. They were evil and they were wicked in all their ways. They persecuted God's people. And, and that's really, in some ways, that's a tame way of saying what they actually did to God's people and anybody else who weren't like them. They just, they love to shed a lot of blood. But God called Jonah to take a word of grace to these people. And when Jonah received this call from the Lord, what we've learned in this book is that he immediately began to run away from God and this call to go to Nineveh. He did his best to flee the presence of the Lord by going down to Joppa and getting into a boat and going down into the bottom of the boat in hopes of getting to Tarshish so that he could get as far away from the presence of God as possible so that God might have left him alone and he wouldn't actually have to take this word to the Ninevites. But as we've learned in this book, God didn't let Jonah get very far. As he hurled a great storm 
at Jonah stopping the ship from moving forward and threatening the lives of everybody on that ship. Eventually, as the crew was trying to figure out what they could do and save lives, eventually Jonah was found out by the ship's crew that after they found out that this great storm and their lives were in danger basically because of Jonah and his disobedience to the Lord, they hurled him overboard into the great sea and the raging storm. And so there Jonah was just sort of floating in the sea as wave after wave crashed over him and he fought for his life and eventually he couldn't fight anymore and he began to drown. He began to sink to the very bottom of this sea. And he nearly lost his life. But God being good and gracious to Jonah, he sent a great fish at the right time to swallow up Jonah and save his life. And it was during this time that Jonah realized that he couldn't run away from God. And he couldn't really run away from the grace of God either. In the belly of this great fish, Jonah was given the grace by God to repent of his sins and turn back to God, even crying out to God. And here's, here's what he said as he was, he kind of shares with us his prayer. It's found here in this book, and I'll get to what we're going to get to today, but this is important. So when he's repenting, eventually he gets to this place where he just cries out, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what he says. And so he knows this. His life was saved by God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. His repentance and newfound faith in God, it it led him to this renewed obedience to God whereby he committed himself to then going and doing what God had called him to do. And so when that fish spit him out on dry land, he eventually made his way to Nineveh and he began to proclaim God's message of grace to the Ninevites. And Jonah's faithfulness to go and to proclaim God's word, it it produced a revival in Nineveh. From the greatest to the least among them, they received his word and they all began to repent, turning away from their evil and wicked ways seeking to really believe what Jonah was saying to them and then responding rightly to it. And so they repented. And then chapter 3, verse 10, we have a recording of what happened next. When when God saw all of these evil, wicked people actually listening to him and turning away from their sins and turning to him, this is what it says. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Instead of killing the people of Nineveh, God saved them from his judgment that they so deserved. This is a story of God's amazing grace. One of the reasons I I love this book so much. You see, God could have easily And rightly just wipe the Ninevites off the face of the earth because of their sin. But instead he chose to love them. He chose to change them. And he chose to save them. Again, this is what makes grace so amazing. 
God not giving the Ninevites what they so deserve. Instead, being kind to them, being gracious to them, being patient with them. Think about your own lives and God's grace specifically given to you. Scripture is very clear that none of us are good people. And that all of us have sinned and are fully deserving of God's righteous judgment. But Scripture also teaches us that God is rich in mercy, full of grace. And out of this mercy and out of this grace, He chose to save us. Not because we were good people. Sometimes we like to think it was because we're good people or we're not as bad as some other people that we might know or we might see out there. But, but Scripture is very clear that, that God being full of mercy and full of grace chose to save us not because of anything in us that makes us somehow good enough to be saved by God, but rather it's, it's only because of who God is. Because of His mercy, because of His grace, and because of His love for us, And out of this love and out of this mercy, he sent his son Jesus into this world to live in our place and die on a cross for all of our sins so that we might be saved. See, salvation, it is a gift from God and it is all by his grace. Now, knowing this, you would think, you would think that, that Jonah would be happy, Right? You would think that Jonah seeing an entire city of people, from the greatest to the least of them, repent of their wickedness, you, you might think that, that he should be extremely happy as he sees the power of God at work in these very evil and wicked people. As he sees the, the grace of God begin to transform these Ninevites, you would expect him to be happy. You would expect him to be worshiping the Lord, rejoicing in God's goodness. But what we see in chapter 4 is that this was not the case at all. Instead of being happy, and instead of running back to where he came from, back to Israel and God's people, and reporting about the power of God at work in Nineveh, and rejoicing with them that they have new brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and this sort of sense of excitement of, of what's going to happen now, instead he gets angry. He gets angry at God gets angry that, that God would extend this grace to these wicked people. And honestly, this is another reason why I love this book. I love this book because I, I just love studying Jonah's life. It's kind of like a roller coaster. And it's real. And honestly, it's relatable, isn't it? There, there's these ups and downs in the way in which his, his faith is worked out. This is, this is not a flattering book that's chronicling the best moments of Jonah's life so that we could study the best prophet of all time and, and seek to aspire to, to just be the best all the time. Instead, this, this is a man called by God, gifted by God, to do God's work. And in many ways, this book paints him as a failure with all these ups and downs, with him actually having to repent of his disobedience to God. And so I like this book because it's relatable to all of us. Jonah was a slow learner. 
And he failed to get what God was teaching him at many times. I don't know if you could relate to that. His obedience to God was not easy. Nor did he always do what God was calling him to do at the right time with the right amount of effort. Jonah struggled in his faith. But God was good. God was faithful. And God was gracious to him. Richard Phillips in his commentary writes the following. He says, Jonah's story reminds us that few believers follow an unbroken ascent from unbelief upward into gloriously victorious faith. Instead, we tend to progress with steps and halts, advances and slips. Jonah shows us that when it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us is set up for life. We all have need for continual and perpetual growth in the grace of God. This is one of those quotes I'd say, okay, it's, it's online if you want to see it. I'd, I'd like to just read it probably again and again and again because it, I think this is one of those things when we, we understand the power of God and the grace of God at work in our lives. We, we really need to know that we all have need for continual and perpetual growth in the grace of God, meaning none of us have arrived. And none of us will arrive this side of heaven, meaning we will always be growing in our faith. There will be stops and there will be halts. The people that you love, that you live life with, will fail at times. They will stop and they will halt. They will need God's grace in their lives just like you. And the reason I share that is because if you're anything like me, sometimes we forget that. We, we like to think sometimes that we actually arrive and that we've actually come to this good place where, where we just get it and we don't need to grow anymore and we might not need God's grace anymore in certain areas, but the reality is we all know that's just not true. And in many ways, this, this book, which I think is written by Jonah, is, is an attempt to help us see that. To help us understand the grace of God and our need for the grace of God at work in our lives. And to be amazed at the grace of God to save sinners. And by sinners, I mean not just wicked Ninevites, but wicked Aaron's and wicked you. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor from God. And it's not just for the Ninevites, it's for us. We all have our starts. We all have our stops. None of us arrive. What we learn here in our text is that God is faithful and he's gracious in all his ways towards us. And in this, I would say we must rejoice. We look at two parts this morning. One's just a little longer than the second. But the first part, what we see is, is we see Jonah was angry. Now think about this. If, if your neighbors got saved, what would you do? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to assume that if your neighbors came over, knocked on your door, and said, hey, I just gave my life to the Lord, or the Lord just saved me. I don't know what happened. I was just in my room, and I was praying, and, and something happened, and all of a sudden, I see that I'm a sinner, and I've offended a holy God, and I, I believe in him. How would you respond? 
I'm going to assume you'd probably rejoice with them. You'd probably be happy for them. I'm also going to assume that you'd probably invite them to church. Maybe begin to disciple them and help them to grow in their faith. I think this is what most mature believers would do. They'd rejoice with a new brother or sister. They'd, they'd, they'd seek to jump into their lives, invite them into their lives. They'd, they'd disciple, they'd walk alongside, seeking to grow in their faith. This is what most people would do. But that's not what Jonah did. Instead, we see that once he was done doing what God had called him to do, he left the city, sat up on a hill, overlooking the city, waiting to see what would happen to the people in Nineveh. Jonah was not happy for the people in Nineveh. In fact, we learned he was just exceedingly angry, disappointed at what happened in Nineveh. Verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In Jonah's mind, there was nothing good about the Ninevites repenting of their evil ways and turning to God to be saved. He was exceedingly displeased. I assume that's just, my man is furious. Furious. From the greatest to the least are repenting and are being saved by God. And this prophet is exceedingly displeased with their repentance and with God's grace being extended to them. Now, based upon his response here, I I can only imagine, I think back to you, okay, Jonah, then why did you go into this city? Well, what's going through his mind as as he's seeking to obey the Lord? Now, I, I, I imagine there's this... This fear of God. I mean, he just got swallowed by a great fish. And so he knows God means business. I've called you, Jonah, to do this. I've given you my message. Now take it to these people. And so he does. And, and I think there was a, a genuine repentance with Jonah. But, but I don't know that there was this, this full joy in his obedience to do what God had called him to do. I don't know that he was heading into Nineveh with this excitement for for God to just save these people. I don't think that's really an assumption. I think that's what's being communicated here to us in Scripture. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy that God was going to save them. He didn't want to see these people get saved. He didn't want to see them live to see another day. What what he wanted them to do is he wanted them to pay for their sins. He wanted God to crush them for their evil and wicked ways. He didn't want God to extend grace and mercy to them. But God did. And for that, he was exceedingly displeased and angry with God. Now, this would be one of those slips and halts in Jonah's faith that Richard Phillips talked about. Jonah loved God's grace when it was extended to his people and to him personally, but not here, and not when it was extended to his enemies. I I think we kind of all know what that feels like, right? I mean, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but I'm going to assume that you really like to be forgiven, right? When you screw up and you sin and you disobey God and maybe you you hurt the person you love next to you or or there's big consequences for your sins, you you like to know that you've been forgiven, don't you? You like to know that 
in spite of your sin, God is still good and gracious to you and he's not going to treat you the way your sins deserve to be treated. Instead, he's going to treat you the way Christ deserved to be treated through his perfect life and his death on the cross for you, knowing that he took all that punishment. You like that, don't you? Yeah, we, we all like to be forgiven. But it gets hard for us, I think, at times when, when we're called to extend that forgiveness to those who hurt us. Those that we might call our enemies, and sometimes those are capital E enemies, and sometimes those are lowercase e enemies, and they can look a lot like our kids sometimes, they can look like a spouse, they can look like somebody sitting in this room. That's a friend to you most of the time, but sometimes they say things that might hurt you. And, and in those moments, I don't know, this is how my heart works, I'm going to let you in on it a little bit. Sometimes I want to see people hurt the way that they hurt me. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you want to see somebody like feel the pain that they've caused. That's kind of what Jonah's feeling here. He goes in and he shares God's word with them. And I got to imagine he's hoping that they reject this message. He's hoping that, that God would not be too slow to anger, but instead give them this one chance to repent of their sins. And if, and if they don't grab a hold of it, they just, they just Sodom and Gomorrah. Just burn this city to the ground. This world would be better without these people sort of feeling in his heart. See, what's revealed here is Jonah's pride. Jonah's self-righteousness and his lack of really understanding God and God's grace. We know this because Jonah tells us that in his anger, he prayed to God. Verse 2, he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, now Jonah is, is not praising God here. He's sort of taking these attributes about God that he knows to be true, and he's throwing them back at God to justify his running away from God. I know this is who you are, and this is why I didn't come here the first time. I know you to be good and gracious. I know you to be merciful. I know you to be slow to anger. I know that you like to relent from disaster, and that's why I ran from you. I don't want you to be that way towards these people. But I know that's how you are. But before we trash Jonah too much, because I don't think we should trash him at all, there's an evidence of grace in his life. A man's angry and he's not running. He's praying. At the beginning of this book, he, he ran, but, but here he turns to the Lord and he prays to God and he's wrestling with God in his anger, but, but he's not running away from God. I think this is huge. I don't want to overlook this evidence of grace in his life because he's not giving up completely. He's just struggling with being proud and self-righteous. He's angry because he knew that God would do something like what God just did. He sought to run from God to Tarshish for all of those reasons. 
Again, he was fine with God being this way towards him and his friends, but he's not fine with God being that way towards his enemy, towards people who hurt him. In his mind, the Ninevites, they didn't deserve to be saved. Wicked, evil men and women. They had, in many ways, in his mind, gone way too far, way past the line of being able to receive God's mercy and grace. That's how he thought about this. They caused too much pain and they caused too much suffering to God's people. And so what they deserved in his mind is they deserved to die. All of them. The entire city, from the greatest to the least. But it's true. God is gracious and he is merciful. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. He is patient with us in our sins and loves to forgive us of our sins. But this is what made Jonah angry. Richard Phillips goes on to say this. He says, Jonah is upset because he thinks God is soft on sin. We can relate to that, can't we? But we like it when he's soft on our sin, don't we? Maybe Jonah thought God was a little too slow to anger with the Ninevites. They were really wicked people after all. Why would God let them live? Why would God let anyone live who is wicked and evil and had done the things that they were doing? I think the answer is really simple and it's found in what Jonah was praying Because God really is merciful. He really is gracious. He really is slow to anger. And he really is abounding in steadfast love. As Christians, we we love to sing about God's grace and mercy. We love to sing about God sending his son into this world to save us. We love to sing about God's amazing grace. And we love to boast about a steadfast love enduring forever. But again, I'm not sure we always like these things being extended to evil, wicked people around us who hurt us. And this was Jonah's complaint. Life for Jonah and his people would have been a lot easier if God would have just killed the Ninevites. Life for us might be easier if God was just maybe a little quicker, not so slow to anger and just kind of took care of all the bad people in this world and maybe cut sin off before it happens to us and wrecks our lives. Colin Smith, in his commentary, writes the following. He says, grace means that God may bless people who have wronged you. Grace means that God may bless people who have wronged you. People from whose sins you have suffered. When that happens, you may find yourself asking, why doesn't God give them what they deserve? And again, the answer is found in his prayer. Because God is gracious. Because he's merciful. Because he's slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. By the very nature of who God is, this means that he is free to be gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to whoever he wants to be. He's free to do that. 
You know why he's free to do that? Because he's God. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who's ruling and reigning over all things. Colin Smith goes on and he says, God steps into the lives of particular individuals with the purpose and effect of saving them. Without this intervention in your life and mine, neither of us would have any hope of being saved. And so again, we like it when he freely jumps into our world and saves us. But like Jonah, sometimes we don't actually like it when he jumps into their worlds. The people who are making our lives difficult and and he begins to work in their hearts. And sometimes it can feel he's doing that at our expense. And it's hard to reconcile, but I would say it, I'd go back to Jonah's prayer. Why? Because he's merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And he's God. He has the freedom to be merciful and gracious to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Because he's God. But all this didn't seem fair to Jonah. Perhaps in his self-righteous mind, he thought that he was maybe better than the Ninevites. More deserving of God's grace than they were. Again, we can think about this and we can act like this at times. Many of us like to believe that we're sinners, but we just don't really like to think that we're really that bad of sinners. And so we like to kind of smuggle in some of our good works at times and thinking that we're sort of deserving of God's grace. See, what Jonah's revealing is just pride and self-righteousness. It's kind of like the famous parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The younger brother in this story goes to his dad and he asks his dad if he could have his inheritance and then he takes off with it and he goes and he squanders it to the point where he has nothing left. And so... He finally turns back to his dad and he just goes back and just lays everything bare and he's hoping just to be accepted by the dad that he he might just be a servant in his dad's kingdom. It's 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 a great story and you see his dad's mercy and grace extended to the younger brother, but it's really not about the younger brother as much as it's about the older brother. See, the older brother had a problem with the way the dad responded to the younger brother. The older brother was was mad at his dad because the older brother was faithful. The older brother didn't take his inheritance and run away with everything. He didn't squander anything. Instead, what he did is he woke up probably the same day, same time, every day, and did the same thing every day, just being faithful to steward all that his dad had. And so when he sees his little brother come back and his dad give him everything, be kind and gracious to him, he just gets mad. Revealing his pride and his self-righteousness as he just feels like he's being overlooked. And in some ways, Jonah is the self-righteous older brother here. In that same section, chapter Luke 15, Jesus kind of lets us in on this secret that kind of helps us understand how we should think about mercy and grace being extended to others. Luke 15, verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jonah should have been rejoicing that the Ninevites repented. But it never dawned on him that it was far more glorious to God to save these men than it was to actually kill them. Self-righteous people prefer judgment 
over salvation. Self-righteous people get angry when God's grace is extended to people whom they think don't deserve it. Self-righteous people are critical people who lack joy because they don't understand God's grace. This is where Jonah was at, and because of it, he asked God to take his life. Verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah had had enough. He had enough of God's grace being given out to people whom he thought didn't deserve it. And as he sat there and he thought about it, he just said, Lord, just take me. Take me. I can't bear to see any of this anymore. Again, this would be a halt and this would be a slip in Jonah's life. His faith was weak and he was angry and discouraged. This leads us to our second and final point or part. God questions Jonah's anger. So after Jonah was done praying to God and expressing his anger towards God and even asking God to take his life, the Lord addresses Jonah in his anger. And the Lord said, verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Another way of saying this is kind of my version would be, Jonah, do you have the right to be angry at me? being addressed by God. And so God wants us to lament. God wants us to bring our concerns to him. And in Jonah's anger, God just sort of looks at him and says, what are you doing? Do you think you have the right to be angry at me? This was, this was a challenge from God to Jonah to, to help him think rightly about how he felt in regards to what God was doing with his grace and mercy with the Ninevites. John McKay writes the following. He says, Has Jonah, as the representative of a people chosen by God for no merit on their part, a people favored by God even when they go astray, as a prophet who in his disobedience has personally known the saving hand of God in his life, any valid ground for objection if God out, God out of his mercy shows compassion to others also? The answer is obviously that man has no right to challenge God on the way he extends his mercy. What he's saying here is that in in light of all the grace and mercy that we've received from God, who are we to question whom God extends that same grace and mercy to? Should we get mad that God saves our enemies? Do we get mad that that God freely forgives somebody who hurts us? God being the creator of all things, he's, he's the one in charge of all things. Therefore, he has the right and the freedom to save whomever he wants. See, this world is not ours. Sometimes we think it is, but it's not ours. You're not the creator. You're actually the created. God is ruling and reigning over all things. He's in charge. And his ways are always perfect, even when we don't fully understand them. And again, this is what makes grace amazing. And this is one of the reasons why I pray, Lord, surprise and delight us as a church. Because we like to think this way. But when we see stories like this, of God being merciful and gracious, an entire city getting transformed by God's grace, to me that's surprising. To me that's delighting. 
To me, this is what makes grace amazing. And so our job, our job is not to get angry at God when life doesn't make sense to us, but instead, I think we're called by God to walk by faith and praise him for his mercy and grace. So in closing, just a little bit of application here. What I'd say is the next time you're tempted to get angry at God, worship him. Rejoice in the fact that he's always in control. Rejoice in the fact that he really is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You might not like that that's being extended to somebody else, but in those moments, worship him and remind yourself that that mercy and that grace was extended to you. That he, he, didn't, he didn't just judge you and condemn you and kill you and throw you into hell for the rest of eternity, that moment when you first sinned. Instead, he was patient. He was merciful. He overlooked by taking those sins and placing them on Christ so that, that we might have a right standing with God. And in that, we're called to rejoice. We're called to worship our God for his mercy and his grace. Church, this is good news. It's good news that we love, and I would end with this. I think it's, it's good news that we're called to extend. As we live in the good of the gospel, as we live in the good of God's grace, by the grace of God, may we be eager to extend that grace to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're at work in all things, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. God, that we would rejoice in your mercy and your grace. We would, we would love that you're slow to anger. We would love that you abound in steadfast love. And Lord, we ask that you would use us as a means of grace to the world around us. Lord, you'd help us to be patient with one another, to be forgiving of those who sin against us. In light of all that we've been forgiven of, Lord, may, may we be eager to forgive one another. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for being our good God. And we ask that you'd bless us as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. May he pour out your spirit upon you. Have a great Sunday.